Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Warfighter podcast with me, Colin Hillier, and Tom... <laughs> I don't know who you are anymore. Neither do I. Neither do I. And Tom Constable. Hello, Tom. Hello, mate. How's it going? Oh, fine. Just recovering from travels and... We should just real world. Ins- copy and paste that, insert that in every episode, but I'm glad you're back safe and ready for this episode. It's, it's actually the fourth installment of our education series and a topic I absolutely know diddly squat about. Yeah, it's scary when we get to the fourth one, but uh, yeah, synthetic internet, did people even know that's a thing? And I think for me, it's quite interesting because I saw it done 20 years ago, which dates me, and it was pretty average and it's really interesting to see how the technology has moved along yeah absolutely i didn't know it exists as you listeners will learn it it's pretty much prevalent and will grow as the relevance of the internet and being efficient and effective on the internet continues to be important to defense yeah now i know the internet's not just a fad and it's going to be sticking (laughs) around for a bit but i think the other thing we we can just sort of let listeners be aware of is that uh, you did some sick experiment where you subjected me to an online ex- exercise and I tried it out for real with uh, I, w- I would say with no training or qualifications for the job and yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. You were, it was you everything you would expect it to be I think so our guest this week is the CEO of Conductor so Robert Pratton and he kindly offered Colin uh, an opportunity to use his platform to train on so Colin you you were met police for a day de- dealing with a real-time terrorist attack and if, if, you, if people want to hear how Colin found the experience and some of the feedback, then it's worth listening to the tale of this episode. I mean, I've just come down from the, the power high. Oh, <laughs> I, I, was, I mean, I, I think I had a missed calling. I should have joined the Met Police I, I, as the communications officer. That was it's more exciting than I ever, ever imagined. <laughs> Stick to your day job, I think. But uh, here is uh, the education episode, episode four, with Robert Pratton from Conductor talking about the synthetic internet. Rob, welcome. Hello. Thanks for having us on the podcast, Tom and Colin. It's a pleasure. And this is our opportunity to verbally, face-to-face, or at least we are at the moment, virtually, say thank you uh, so much. We appreciate your support from day one of the podcast. Well, it's our pleasure. And not only are you are you supporting the education of our listeners, which is great, you're also going to tell myself, and I don't know about Colin here, but you know, the concept of the synthetic internet was absolutely new to me before we started engaging with Conductor. So the fact that you, you know, you've given your time, you're going to give us time to talk about what the synthetic internet is and how it's relevant to our listeners, i.e. defense, I think it's something I'm really very much looking forward to. Okay, good. Yeah, no, happy to do it. Cool. So as is tradition, could you mind give us a bit of a brief introduction to yourself, how you find yourself leading this intrepid team over at Conductor and, and, and what you guys do? Yeah, sure. So I'm Robert Pratton. I'm the CEO and founder at Conductor. And the way that I found myself in, in this position was the sort of confluence of a, of a few paths, really. So my degree's in computing, but then in 2000, I quit work. I was working in the telecoms industry. I quit work and I went to film school. So then I made, I went to, went to film school, I made two feature films. And when those films were being finished, which was around about 2008-ish, everything was being pirated. And I thought that how are our content creators going to survive? Well, it's through creating things that can't be pirated, like experiences. So set up the company to create immersive experiences 
that play out in the real world. So it's like the bringing together of the technology and storytelling. And that's what we do now. And then we did a lot of projects for big brands like Disney. We turned the whole of Spain into Westeros for Game of Thrones. Kadancha is the world's largest manga publisher. So we did all that stuff. But then in 2018, we realized that crisis simulation was like our key application. And I was presenting somewhere. It was like an arts type thing. And someone from the home office came up and he said, I think you should should talk to these people because you might have something we want. We're a small company. And I thought, well, how are we going to get into the defense industry as a small company? But it turns out that having this combination of storytelling technology and creating a realistic simulation of the information space is not something anybody else has chosen to do. So we find ourselves in quite a unique position being able to work with Stratcom, MediaRots, that type of thing to provide this environment. Yeah, it's pretty good. Brilliant. I'm going to resist asking you about your feature films. I'll do that, I'll do that <laughs> off air. It's probably best. Probably the least said about them, the better. <laughs> <laughs> now my mind's going. So that brings us really nicely on to the topic because one of the facets of your product is the synthetic wrap, the synthetic internet that essentially allows the exercising troops or personnel or civilian or civil servants, et cetera, to be able to use it to train different situations. So, I mean, it seems a bit obvious, but should we start off with what is the synthetic internet to you? <laughs> what does it mean? Yeah, so the synthetic internet is, is basically a virtual information space. So on an exercise, you've got people that are supposed to be doing intelligence. You've got people that are supposed to doing psyops or any kind of information action activities but without a synthetic internet they can't do anything and quite often you know people we speak to they go oh yeah i've been asked to come on this you know if you work in sort of like information operations and outreach or something and they go oh come on to this exercise and they go right what am i supposed to do there's no like simulation environment for me to deliver my products if you want me to do a target audience analysis how am i doing that i'm just going to make it up whereas what we do is we provide that environment and it's all closed it's all private but it's modeled based on the exercise or based on the real world. So if someone has to do a target audience analysis, they can use the tools that they would in the real world to actually investigate our synthetic world. I mean, because we've basically replicated those real world tools. So they'll say, yeah, they've got these populations, they should be responsive to these types of messages. And then they can put those messages or take those actions and the platform will respond as it would in real life. And we've got like a common operating picture for the information environment which you might not always have in the real world but if you're in the command headquarters running this exercise you're on the directing staff you can actually see this god's eye view of everything that's happening in the information environment what the red team are putting in what injects might have been put in there as part of the sort of training objectives and then how the training audience are responding to that and that means you're able to give them feedback about what they did well or what they didn't respond to opportunities they missed this type of thing it's a really important thing and and also i would say obviously Obviously, cyber security and cyber attack is on top of everyone's mind. But if you look at the information space, if you've got the physical on the bottom, which is where all the cyber attacks might go with their malware and such like that. But then you have the virtual space, which is above that. So that will be all like the website, social media platforms, and then the cognitive space. And I think where we're really effective is in training people for that cognitive and the virtual space. Because on a tactical basis, there are certain things you might want to put in your message to get that out. But what you're looking for is usually behavioral 
effects or attitudinal effects. And you can see that in our platform and you can rehearse for that in a very realistic way. So that's what we do. I'm looking here, prepped a few questions and you, how does it differ from a digital range or a cyber range? Now, I'd love to be able to ask that intelligently, but I don't know what a digital range or a cyber range is. So maybe it'd be really useful for just to explain what those two are and understanding how this synthetic internet, which again, to me now just sounds like it's the closest possible replication of the internet and yes. how it would respond to certain effects that, that we which we're going to talk about use cases a little bit later on. What makes what we've got different from some platforms that you might hear, you know, if you hear that term like, oh, it's a cyber range or a digital range, usually what's being referred to there is a kind of training environment which is designed for technical cyber effects. So if you've got infosec people, they'll be able to go in and plant malware or defend against Trojans and this type of stuff. So that's at a very technical level. We're on a different layer of the information model because we're looking more at if this message were to get out or if this website were to go down, what's the impact of that rather than how do you seed the malware? So a different use case or use cases. Yeah, exactly. It's difficult to exercise those two together because you might have training objectives for someone that's doing influence operations. And then if the people that are doing the cyber actually take a website down or repair the website, then they might have achieved their objectives because they did it quickly. But then up the chain, someone's supposed to be looking at the cognitive effects of that. It's like, well, thanks. You've just spot my training exercise. You know what I mean? <laughs> so so I think it's understandable that they're different and it's different types of people that are doing those exercises. So it's got its own place in the training. Yeah, absolutely. The training kind of curriculum. And, and that brings us nicely on to the talking about the different kinds of use cases that, that may support synthetic internet. You've mentioned mentioned psyops influence operations etc etc or info ops now we haven't yet defined or explained what that is and, and what we're trying to achieve with these education episodes is, is making sure that we're, anyone can right. listen to them so it'd be great to be able to kind of talk about those use cases explain broad level because each one's very complicated but a broad level what they do and why a synthetic internet would allow them to do their job better in the let's say the old days pre-internet or pre-social media, pre-open source intelligence nerds pouring over satellite images and putting out their conclusions onto Twitter. Pre-all of that, then maybe if you were in the military, you didn't need to worry too much about communications. Like propaganda has been around for a long time, but that Mm -hmm. might be someone else's department. And you might have seen that as being something other to the job of capturing territory or or whatever the objective is, right? But in today's world, unless you're like Russia and you don't care how many people you get killed every day, normally there's a reluctance to actually put people in the harm's way. And so if you can avert a conflict through messaging, that's a good thing. If you can get your political goals, if you're like China, for example, if you can get, achieve your political goals from so-called like grey zone type activity, and we can we can come on to that in a minute, then all of that is done through the information space. And if you are doing kinetic operations, the impact of that will be felt globally in the information space. So you it's not just about justifying what you're doing, but it's making sure that the optics are right, which mm-hmm. sounds very, you know, it, it doesn't sound like a nice thing to say, but you can have the best of intentions, but if you don't tell your story in a good way, then you could find yourself on the losing end. And if you look at the Ukraine, so Zelensky has been amazing at getting everyone to support the Ukraine with Mm -hmm. tanks or whatever it might be. And if you notice what he does is he takes the Ukraine struggle 
and it makes it a global struggle. It's everyone's struggle. This is about good and evil. So it's the sort of thing you'd get in a Hollywood movie. If you take mm-hmm. a script to a script editor, they'll go, well, this is a very, you know, small story. We need to make the stakes bigger and all that. And that's what Zelensky has been able to do. And so without the power of the narrative, he's not going to motivate people to want to go to the front lines, but he's not going to be able to motivate people to put up with the power cuts. He's not going to be able to motivate people to provide them. And so when you're planning, if you're planning any kind of operation it's really important to think about the information effects either on what you're going to have there on your home audience that's going to be receiving this on your Mm -hmm. support so you'd always look at who are my stakeholders and how am i going to engage them in what i'm doing to make sure they don't misperceive what i'm trying to do for example yeah and i can definitely see coming from my military background how something like that training that's kind of ethereal could become neglected and also i also could appreciate how extremely challenging that kind of training could be because how do you rate or score the quality of messaging because in the real world if a message goes viral gets picked up by lots of news agencies you can go that was an effective i'm now going to learn from that that was a good use of my tools good use of my messaging However, in the training environment, how do you assess the value or impact? Let's say someone does something quirky, creative, different in a synthetic internet. How did the red team or the ops room that's managing this training scenario, how do they assess how valuable that input has been? So there are, um, like at a tactical level, there are certain rules for, you know, how you're supposed to follow. So there's like different, there's like the Oasis framework, which says you need to understand your audience and you need to think about the message that you're giving to that audience. And then even on the you know, it's publicly available on the government website. They'll say, if you're going to put out any social media, it shouldn't have more than two hashtags. It needs to be readable by, you know, a seven-year-old. So there are certain key criteria, but above Mm. that, when you're looking at psychological effects, behavioral effects, then it comes down to a subject matter expert to say, okay, what was the intent? Well, if you look at the normal odor loop, right? So Mm. it's like, does this person understand the environment? Have they made the right decision? You know, having made the right decision, did they carry it off okay? Or did they do a well-executed thing which completely missed the mark because they didn't really understand the environment? Mm -hmm. So it's it's looking at those different stages. And it's not really in any way dissimilar to what advertising does. So you Mm -hmm. say, I've got this audience and they're going to be the most susceptible to my message. So just to take a step back from that, right? Where I'm coming at this, I'm not a defense person. I've I've come at this from outside the defense industry. Mm -hmm. But one thing I do know is about transmedia storytelling. So that Mm -hmm. means conveying your message across lots of different platforms to create a coherent thing so if you're in stratcom you would have a strategic narrative and everything you do and say should be in line with that so whether you have your ship sail into somebody's waters whether you make a big show of some new weapon you've got that's all about messaging and all this stuff whether you get all your troops lined up on the border that's messaging so an example of that or current example of that is whether you shoot down a an errant Chinese <laughs> moon that's just flown across your whole country over five key airfields with a fifth generation fighter jet. What exactly. message are you trying to, to convey with that and how do you manage that effectively or not as the case may be? Yeah, exactly. So you, you, you'd have to think about that. You have to think about what is it that we want to convey? Mm-hmm. When's the right time to take that balloon down? Are we going to recover a bit? You know, like every someone somewhere has had to think had to had to think for all of that. So when you're saying like, has it been effective? Just like in an advertising thing, you say, right, this was the narrative that we was expecting someone to deliver. Mm-hmm. These were the audiences that that narrative was supposed to land with, and this is what they did. Do we actually think 
that that would have had the impact. And in the, to come back to that transmedia storytelling thing, there's a famous professor in that area called Henry Jenkins, and he wrote a book called If It Doesn't Spread, It's Dead. And what he was talking about there is what you want is your audience to tell your message for you. Because if I tell you I'm amazing, everyone goes, yeah, of course you would say that. <laughs> but if you've got your customers saying, oh, that guy is amazing, then you're much more likely to believe them. So if you've got a conspiracy, rather than standing up there up front and saying, I don't know, these vaccinations will damage people. The best thing is to find a load of anti-vaxxers, give them the message and let them spread it. If you're a foreign power, one is sort of like deniability. No, it wasn't me. You can sort of hide, you know, it's not necessarily attributable to you, but also it's more like believable amongst mm-hmm. that peer group because it's coming from their own people. So an example of that might be with the presidential elections with Donald Trump and the way certain organisations and maybe state actors and non-state actors spread information within that sphere that can be tracked back to them. Yeah, exactly. So what you want to do is when with a piece of content is present it in such a way that you know it's going to be shared, that mm-hmm. someone mm-hmm. else is going to do it. Yeah, if you were like Nike or someone, it's much better for people to be taking photographs of their shoes and posting it on their own Instagram mm-hmm. than if you take out an advert and show your shoes. Do you know what I mean? Because it's mm-hmm. it's seen as more authentic. So mm-hmm. all of these things you're trying to think about is like how many followers has somebody got? Are they the most influential person to get this message out? And so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So when you say like, so you want to measure the effects or you want to show the information environment acting in that way, that's why you need this God's eye view. So you'll see what's coming out and then that adjudicator will then push the different buttons to show the information environment reacting to that. So these different audiences will react. So if you're the player, if you're on the the blue team or whatever, Mm -hmm. you've put something into the information environment and then you're seeing the impact of that. And it might, it might not necessarily be a tweet. It could be you, know, you decided that you're going to send a plane to fly over a certain island or something like that. And then the audiences will react and then you have to deal with a new reality. Is there a propagation model that sits behind that? How do you model how things spread and how do you determine something? You know, you said if it doesn't spread, it's dead. What, how do you determine that? So at the moment, we're doing that qualitatively. I think it's... Sort of a someone's opinion of that's a good message or not, but there's no sort of algorithm much, yeah. behind that driving it. No, because the thing is you need to know the intent. Like there's so many things that you need to be aware of. Mm-hmm. It would take longer to try to code up the platform to do it than it would be for someone to use their experience to do that. I think that if you look at the other simulation platforms, sometimes the training audience push back and they say, well, I'm not sure if I trust the result. What's the calculation that was behind that? So the more you bury it in a kind of automated simulation, although you think, well, that's been quite useful, actually, it might be more difficult to give a justification for why that happened. Whereas with our model, it's very easy to explain to someone, well, you did this, you told me that you were going to do that, and this is what I thought the result would have been. Everyone loves a, you know, the idea that AI is behind everything, and it almost you know, increases your, your net worth instantly as a company if you mention AI. But I'll agree with you, there's lots of scenarios, but even when it comes to infantry training, whatever it might be, that it's not about the data necessarily. It is about the human factors involved and who was on the ground watching that battle play out. If you were the instructor with multiple operational tours, you can't code that. That's just experience that's going to tell you. And it's about, and what you're talking about, my understanding, 
understanding is it is creativity. There's a formula in lots of ways, but it is still creative. Yeah, definitely there's good required. practice and there's bad practice, but it doesn't mean you're always going to be successful. And I'm currently watching uh, Warship on the BBC, which is a little plug for that, but it's all about the biggest British aircraft carrier that's going around the place. And I was watching the episode, episode two, for those that care, where the, one of the destroyers heads up to the Black Sea and kind of just pokes the hornet's nest and obviously a lot of things happen russia is before ukraine russia reacts in a very aggressive way etc etc and and, you know is that something that there would be a an influence team operating with that or are we not quite that sophisticated yet or maybe can't even talk about it i don't know there should be yeah yeah, proactive influence groups supporting that you would hope so wouldn't you 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 can't do anything random i mean like so you, you everything should be mindful so if there wasn't a media team or some sort of strategic narrative behind that and that's a missed opportunity. Yeah, that's it. And or so then careless. That, <laughs> it's one of the two, do you know what I mean? I, you know, I wouldn't bet either way. <laughs> yeah, really, really interesting. And so that brings me on to the other question, which is, are you feeling that, because for everything you've told me, this space is huge. The best example of this in a really horrible way is Ukraine. The way that, like you say, Zelensky's managed to generate that impact. But also, you know, Russia's doing it in their way as well. Their influence ops. And I'll even see it when I'm on YouTube or whatever it might be, the counter propaganda that's happening. So are you feeling that from your company's perspective, this industry is, I imagine, blowing up and is becoming a bigger yeah, and totally. bigger conversation? Yeah. And if you look at like Russia's influence campaign, where have they been successful? They've been successful in the Middle East and Africa yeah. where they've got those countries buy in to the <laughs> idea that we need to support the USA. So they're looking at how can we avoid the sanctions? Well, it's all about the narrative, isn't it? Let's try to find a story to get us around that and get into people's heads. And you know, I wouldn't be doing our job properly in terms of trying to holistically learn about the synthetic internet if I don't ask the question, what are the challenges or constraints of using a synthetic internet from your perspective? So I think when you first start speaking to customers, they might feel you need to boil the ocean in order to create something that's realistic. But if you look at the real internet, you're told that there are billions of pages on it. But how many will you actually ever look at? And how many do you need to look at in order to get your job done? Well, you don't need to look at even 200 pages probably. So what we do is we say to the client, okay, what's the nature of the exercise? And then we build the information environment around the exercise. And that's much more efficient in terms of what you need to do. And to take an example from Disney, when Disney designed their theme parks, I think it's called like, I'm going to say this, I think it's called like a wiener or something like that, which sounds like, you know, your wang. But (laughs) the idea is that when you go into the park, there's a big eyesore that guides you towards it and you can do the same in the information environment you know that in this exercise people are going to be looking for some key pieces of information and what we would do as well is we say okay what are the audiences what are the actors who are the adversaries and you know all of that because of the training objectives so you build the information right environment around what it is people are likely to be looking for there's no point in putting gymnastics news if that's not going to be relevant unless you've got a gymnast with a z on his shirt and <laughs> they're going to go up and get a medal then maybe you do need to include that so it's mm-hmm. trying to just think a little bit ahead with that so i think that's the, the main one i think as well there are i don't know if you saw in the news there was like, in quotes, a whistleblower from 77 Brigade that was complaining that during the COVID lockdown, 
77 were brought in by the government to look for foreign malign influence in the messaging to make sure that because obviously they wanted to say our vaccines were rubbish it basically doesn't matter so long as it's causing friction within the uk population so 77 were brought in to look at that malign influence but then this whistleblower is claiming that he spied on his own people that we looked at the uk population and he thought that was a bit too much so big brother watch have put out this report. But if you look at that, it's very sensationist. I mm. mean, if you look at the design of the report, and then when you read actually what the whistleblower put down, he's saying, well, of course I was told all the legal constraints, and of course I had to... It's like, right, well, so why are you yeah. complaining? Basically, you just cut the ump for some other reason, not because the right process wasn't there. I mean, how on earth are you supposed to measure the impact of foreign influence without looking at your population to see if yeah. they're being influenced by it? So I I thought that was, and I guess the point about having a synthetic environment is you can fictionalize your populations and do those exercises without reproducing the real internet. You don't have to get real people into the exercise in order yeah. to simulate what they might do. You can avoid the data protection. Exactly. There. Yeah. The real skill, and that's why what you're doing and coming from a creative industry, I think is absolutely fundamental. It's like you say, you can constrain the remit to what's specifically being trained or exercised, but also it's that the illusion, creating that illusion of yes. sandbox nature. And that's where you're either going to win it or you're going to lose it. I hate exercising when I know the edge of the exercise is here and in the distance I can see X town with the lights turned on as maybe in a war zone. I, mainly because I'm cold and hungry and they look really happy in the houses. But, you know, I hate uh, losing the realistic effect and feeling like you're immersed in a, a scenario. So that's the key value. Because whenever anyone sees any friction, they're out of the thing, aren't they? In fact, what we say is, again, this is from Transmedia, it was from a professor called Janet Murray. We often say, oh, it's the suspension of disbelief. But actually, the way that we look at it is from her perspective, is the active creation of belief. Because people view the world through a storytelling lens. They, We are more comfortable with narratives. We don't like random pieces of information. So whenever you get data, you're always trying to stitch it together into some sort of story. So if you're a storyteller, which you are if you're a government or if you're a military operation, you need to think mindfully about the pieces of information and how you want those all stitched together. So when you're creating the information environment for an exercise, you're kind of doing it a little bit in reverse. If I've got those train objectives, and I'll come in in here. What is it that I ought to be looking for? So if someone goes on exercise and they say, oh, I can't find any information on how to repair a carburetor on a Ford 1300E Escort. Right, is that part of the training exercise, is it? It's not relevant to what we're mm -hmm. doing right now. Just going back to something you said earlier, but I think it's worth covering off. One of the really interesting bits is that ability of the sandbox. So you can take a cross-section of sort of anonymized data. You can screw up. There's one thing having your ROE Tom will know this and there's another thing actually understanding it and going through it and go oh well here's an example a specific one and it's the way I interpret the rules that matters so you're going to do it and, and if you don't have that you've got to do it in the real internet which is not great you know no exactly, um, yeah, exactly so that's a really powerful argument the internet's not going to go away obviously things are going to change so that concept still stays, but I thought that's worth just dwelling on a little bit, that ability to make mistakes during our training, not just sit through, here's 30 PowerPoint slides of the legalese, which oh, yeah, weren't really yeah, yeah. so in the <laughs> PowerPoint is the death of anything. I mean, <laughs> if you look at the way, if you just look at adult learning, it should be goal-orientated, participatory. So that's two out of like six or whatever the yardsticks are, none of which are 
adopted with PowerPoint. But PowerPoint's all right delivering information. Don't get me wrong, we have PowerPoint slides as well. But it's in, also cheap. Yeah, exactly. But in terms of like, <laughs> well, it depends if you just want to be compliant and say, oh, yeah, we gave the presentation, so now they know. Or if you want people to be uh, yeah, that, capable. That, 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 yeah, I guess that's kind of sometimes the bane of our lives is the minimum to be compliant if we're just trying to say, well, we did our bit versus actually having competent people that know have the knowledge in depth. Yeah, and see how things react because, you know, it might have unintended consequences, which you won't know until you take the action. So you're in a simulated environment, you do something, it gets picked up, and then you see an army of trolls around. You know, I've seen it before where people put, like, content out and they think it's going to be uncontested. And then, of course, the red team get on it, twist it, create a meme, and then always it's open meme warfare. That's that's such a great moment when it happens. Oh, oh, oh sorry, your training involves creating memes. When do I, si- when do I sign up? <laughs> yeah, because... <laughs> I quit. I'm just going to go join Rob. <laughs> because at the, uh, at the you know, if, you're on the um, if you're on the side of the goodies, you don't really have access to those powers. But if you're playing the red team, the gloves are off. You do whatever you want. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Authoritarian regimes, they don't care. So Yeah. That's been absolutely fascinating and I've really enjoyed it. And I think it's, it is a huge topic. I think I'm getting bored of saying that for every episode we talk about, but um, we could really start going down some rabbit holes and learning more about what's happening in the space. But I think we should wrap it up there. Is there anything you'd like to say, Robert, before we finish off? Only really to encourage people to take the information environment seriously, especially with the older people that are obviously in senior positions. They didn't grow up with Mm -hmm. Instagram or they might think that the internet is only about young girls dancing on TikTok or something like that. But I know that the Russians were buying off influence on TikTok to have an influence on different things. LGBT riots, any sort of thing that they can find to find friction, they will exploit it. So it's not something that's frivolous. And one of the things that China's trying to do is achieve its ends without being, I mean, they're getting more and more openly confrontational, but they're trying to achieve their ends through debt diplomacy, as they would call it, you know, all these types of other hybrid warfare things. And it really makes sense to practice those things in a realistic way and get some experience of it before you have to do it in the real world. I guess the final thought from me is maybe this is something you thought of, Robert, interesting your thoughts. The thing that struck me is China and Russia, as an example, understand our culture far better than we understand theirs. One of the ways they do that, apart from things like TV, is social media. And so it's easier for them to manipulate us than for us to admit, because we don't even know things like the contact year and their social media, which sometimes is the same, sometimes is different. Certainly in China, it's massively different. And even things like humor is different not just the language, but everything else. All their internet environments are all locked down in a very tight way, whereas our information environment is much more open because we believe in a free press. So, again, it's not, not just open. I mean, I don't know how accurate this is, but my understanding is it's TikTok. It is owned, obviously, by Chinese creators, and there's some argument that the algorithm is different for young people within China and what it serves up to them, yeah, aspirational, yeah, work yeah, hard, etc. And in the UK, it's the opposite. Whatever it could find to be the opposite of that, to be driving culture change negative culture change within that which is absolutely petrifying that we kind of know it's happening and yet yeah i'm not aware of what we're doing to, to kind well, of stop the problem that. is that all the data is being shipped back to china and nobody knows what they're doing with it so they're using it for like let's say they're using it for facial recognition training so now they've got millions of western faces that's all trained up to be able to identify different moods and so on 
and we know they love a bit of surveillance. So it's a tricky world that we live in now where you have to think so, of all these unintended consequences. So Robert, what you're saying is I need to take down my TikTok dance videos. <laughs> uh, yeah, if, you've, if you're dancing in one of those sort of gimp masks, you'll probably be all right. <laughs> You've it's only it. if it's showing your face yeah exactly if it's I only didn't your backside you're a follower but <laughs> excellent I mean I hope you yeah joined. exactly I'm a patron <laughs> <laughs> how, sh- how far should we take this joke I don't know bombshell cancel cancel we're gonna get cancelled yeah the link's in the notes <laughs> but on that bombshell thank you so much for your time Robert and speak yeah. soon that was great fun. And I love his examples that he gives. And then going off on one in, in, in different directions, talking about 77 Brigade, which is something that actually we didn't probably clarify was the, I mean, what is, is the Info Ops division of the UK Army? I mean, what is 77 Brigade, Colin? Uh, the grey zone, you know, all the things that are not conventional. Can't Social talk about it. Social media experts. Wink, wink. <laughs> I don't know. But I mean, what, they were, what they're doing, and that was cool. And yeah, again, things I hadn't thought about. Yeah, I, I mean, there's a danger that we turn into a... Uh, policy and warfare podcast not just about training simulation <laughs> but it's really interesting when we met we we go into these areas that are in themselves quite fascinating and then link them back to training and simulation but i hope i hope as i learn things others, others mm-hmm. will learn about where that technology is because it is advancing pretty quickly yeah and speaking about that like at the top of the podcast we said that we were going to talk about your on the job training colin but just to give a bit more context there will be a video that's in the show notes there'll also be a link to the conductor product which you can test out for yourself again in, in the show notes but i'll set the scenario colin i need to hear your thoughts so you were the you're positioned we're on a remote web app so we're just doing it from our kind of home offices conductor were kind enough to give us some facilitators to help facilitate the training and make it more realistic but essentially colin was acting as the chief communication officer or just communication manager for the day <laughs> for met please and then she's quit <laughs> yeah and you had access to like the like a realistic platform so you had like Twitter and and you could search different platforms but how did your day unfold Colin? <laughs> well I think I think the first thing because sometimes with these things they're not quite like the real thing so bits don't work but I was quite surprised as most of the things you expected to work worked like the internet and and the way it was all linked together in the back end so they've got a white force that sort of can act as sort of protagonists or whatever you know having everything that you normally expect like email is like send emails to people, send messages. So the normal tools of the job. It reminded me a bit of something they used to do was like an office simulator. <laughs> obviously in the more modern age where you've got more things to to handle. And and yeah, suddenly if you're under time pressure, which they can do, you know, have a little bit of a panic. Yeah. And it, I mean I was I mean, I probably wasn't being particularly helpful, Colin, as, as you were. No, no you weren't. <laughs> you could probably define me as a, I was slating you throughout. <laughs> but I was finding, you know, the heart rate was up, you know, this, this attack was unfolding and, and Colin had to, yeah, use those platforms and, and then and relay that information that from the digital sphere to forward mount it to, you know, he was being emailed by people at the venue saying, what should we do? <laughs> Which was a lot of pressure for a communications manager. Uh, and that was, but it was, it was cool. And I thoroughly enjoyed watching, watching you under pressure, Colin. This is obviously used in some police, armed forces, but Actually, it has application for more mundane jobs because yeah. it, people don't practice this stuff and get feedback on how do you handle abnormal things in communications. As a, as a PR and marketing simulator, this would be excellent for most departments, I think. 
Yeah, and it's just that efficiency, isn't it? Driving efficiency in communication between different people with a team. Because we could have not just had, you were one person working as the whole of Met Police, essentially, in this scenario. But there could have been 20 people with different roles. And that was cool. And it had integrated, like, videos and newsfeed and live, live updates from fictitious kind of news channels. So that was really exciting. And, and the feedback we got from your assessors was that actually you did surprisingly well for someone who had <laughs> <Surprisingly>. zero training. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very backhanded compliment. I mean, you were, you were quite aggressively bantering with the journalist who was trying to pump you for information. Colin, I, I seem to I have no that. time for journalists. You're not, you know this much. <laughs> anyway, if you want to, like, say, watch a bit of a video, just a bit of snippets and a bit of a voiceover for myself, and see the the product in action, and look at the show notes. And I'd recommend if you are interested in this kind of technology and think it might help you, then just to get on to have a look at, try it for yourself. Happy, Colin. Yeah. Right. And that's it for today's episode. As ever, if you want to connect with the community, just please find your way to LinkedIn and search for the Warfighter Podcast. See you next episode.